1: Hello and welcome to Newsweek's Parting Shot, your dose of everything pop culture. I'm H. Alan Scott. If you're a film buff, today's episode is for you. I'll be chatting with Izzy, the genius behind the YouTube channel Be Kind Rewind, which, as you'll see, I'm mildly obsessed with. We do a deep dive into classic films, legends of old Hollywood, and why there are film buffs and then why there are film freaks. And I am a said freak. I am a film freak. So go on, grab a snack, because I'll be right back.
0: Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts.
1: YouTube is very much the Wild West of videos on the internet. You can basically find anything you want on it. I tend to spend a lot of my time watching YouTube. I I watch a lot of food videos, uh, things about history, because I'm kind of a nerd like that, and especially anything about movies and TV, but most importantly about classic Hollywood stars, which explains my obsession with the channel Be Kind Rewind, ran by Izzy, a fellow film freak. She joined me today to talk about her channel, her background, and we share some of our mutual film obsessions, and we go hard into our obsessions. <laughs> I love your YouTube channel. You have, so it's Izzy Be Kind Rewind. It's, well, the channel's called Be Kind Rewind. Your name is Izzy. Welcome. Hello. How are you?
0: I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me and for those very kind words.
1: Yeah, I Well, I'm going to give you some more here. <laughs> I... I am such a huge, I mean, yes, I'm a movie buff, which I think that like, I think you have to be more, I mean, you can be a movie buff and like your YouTube channel. Sure. But I think you fill a niche inside of me. Your channel does. I'm sure there are many other things about you that I don't know that would also fill the niche, but (laughs) your channel fills the niche inside me that I need from the internet, which is a focus on the fantastic bits of movie and pop culture history, trivia that like, give me like life every single day. It's such a good channel. I can't tell you enough.
0: Oh, well, thank you. I'm so glad that it fills that niche for you.
1: <laughs> it does. It, it is does. very every niche, so I
0: get it. Yeah, it's very niche.
1: How much work do you put in? Well, first, let me just explain to people. So your channel focuses on film history. What else would you say it focuses on? How do you, how do you describe the channel?
0: Um, I would say it's sort of an intersection between film history. The film, the history of the film industry, um, Mm -hmm. the lives of actresses and sort of how they all come together um, in the political climate of the United States. So it's a lot. It's a lot at at all times, but it's pretty good.
1: But that's what I love about it is I. I. I have so many questions for you. Do you have a background in film? Like what's your background? How'd you get started in all this? Uh,
0: So I am just a lifelong cinephile. I never studied film as a uh, academic subject. Um, i just kind of have loved it for as long as I can remember and always just considered it a hobby and something that, oh, you know, you shouldn't, you shouldn't major in that. You shouldn't study that because that's not that's not going to be a career. What kind of job could you get with that? Which is dumb and no one should do that. Um, Follow your dreams, et cetera, et cetera. (laughs) But um, yeah, so I studied international relations in college. um, And then when I graduated, immediately realized, okay, that's not for me. I'm not going to do that. Um, And just started trying to find a way to talk about film and be as close to film as I could um, in my professional life. And, uh, but ironically, I think that studying international relations really helped me with the skills that I use in this channel a lot. It's, it's a lot Mm. of research, a lot of research, a lot of writing, a lot of understanding motivations, a lot of understanding how history informs everybody's decisions from, you know, what you're buying for breakfast to, um, you know, major things in life. So uh, I think it's it's sort of understanding those uh the motivations people have, what drives yeah. industries, what drives trends like all of these things kind of so are things true. that you study in international relations um and so I really feel like it was actually ironically very useful for what I do now It
1: is I can see that now that you say that like I can really because I I very similarly I, when I was in college and even out of college, everyone was telling me like, oh, you have to have like a real job And so of course I went into politics, which was like, that's not even a real job. Like why didn't, why did I even think that was a real job? But I was obsessed with like, I was obsessed with performing and I was obsessed with comedy and I was obsessed with films and In college, I remember I took one documentary film class and I realized I'm not mature enough to have conversations with people who do documentary films. Like every, I would try to be cracking jokes and stuff and they would just be like, so what do you think about the existential whatever? And I was just like, I don't know, let's talk about like Dolly Parton, which we will get to today. But like, but those are the things I wanted to talk about. And so I, yeah, similar, the same. And then over the course of my career, we haven't been doing it that long, but over the course of my career, I've kind of just realized the only things I'm actually good at are like talking to people and performing like that's it. That's all I'm good at. So I love that you found this, that you like leaned into the thing that you love and found a way to sort of well make a life out of it, make a career out of it in a lot of ways.
0: Absolutely. And I mean, I think, you know, when I I still love learning about politics and history and all of that. And when I watch, um, I'm very nerdy in that respect. And I'll watch like two hour long uh academic panels about like, what's going on in Russia,
1: but like,
0: I get, I get the same intellectual rush out of that, that I get out of learning about film history, you know, like it's, it really is just telling stories, learning about people, um, understanding how the world works. Um, and you can apply how you think about that and the, the skills you learn from understanding that logic to any field.
1: Yeah. And these films that you cover and some of the stars that you cover, they become sort of like touchstones for our lives and they become part of our history in a lot of ways. And then that history dictates like for me, the films and the things that I was obsessed with as a child, for example, I'm thinking like the birdcage right now, how impactful the birdcage was on me, both as a performer and as as a comedian and as a as anything as a writer, my outlook on so much comes from the birdcage and it's it's a part of my history in a lot of ways, and it dictates how I even communicate to this day. I, I still don't wear regular socks.
0: <laughs> exactly, <laughs> I, you know, and I think that's so true. I mean, I spoke to Lipsinka, who's a drag queen, um, mm. for the an icon video. An icon, video. yes. Okay. I shouldn't. Yeah. I, sh- I I should. Icon. I should emphasize icon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> for mommy dearest, but we talked a lot about you know. It's there's just one movie that came out and people clung to it. And those quotes kind of get recycled and they become part of a culture. So it's all of these, yeah. these films that, you know, you don't maybe don't think about every day, but they are sort of part of the parlance you learn of the vocabulary you learn once you start to mm-hmm. become part of different communities and all of these things. So I, I do think it's just extraordinarily important to understand the context of why they were made, why they become what they become. Um, yeah. And, you know, just the interesting tidbits about the people who make them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the the worst things about interviewing someone like you is that I have so many questions for you and I feel like we could talk forever <laughs> in a day. And like, I don't even know the first question I want to ask you because I have so many that I'm so excited to ask. So I'll just start with your latest video. Sure. So as of this recording, at least your latest video is on the filmography of Dolly Parton, yes. which. I, I have not seen it yet. Full disclosure, I have not seen it yet. I'm very excited to see it. But I hope you cover both Steel Magnolias and Straight Talk because those two are gems in my heart there. I mean, 9 to 5, every, Everybody if you do like 9 to 5, to five yeah. you're not living. Like 9 to 5 is basic, you know what I mean? That's like air. Yes. Like you have, to, you have to love 9 to 5. But if you really want to do a deep cut into the Dolly Parton filmography, you got to go really deep into, I think, Straight Talk. That's really where it's at. Straight
0: out. Talk is, Great. I mean, one of Dolly Parton's great skills just as a public figure is the one-liner, the quip. Um, And Straight Talk really just takes that ability of hers and puts it right into a script and makes it essentially a part of a rom-com, which is a fantastic (laughs) idea. Um, And it is free on YouTube, by the way, right now. Uh, Anyone can go watch Mm -hmm. it. So check it out. Don't worry, I have.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Of course. (laughs) It's it's kind of wild, though. What was it about? Like, why... Because, I mean, you cover like you cover some great Hollywood sort of legends in a lot of ways. And Dolly Parton is a legend, of course. Mm-hmm. But I don't think a lot of people who maybe aren't film buffs, whatever, or even film buffs probably would ever think Dolly Parton films like is that something that needs to be discussed? So why why go deep into Dolly Parton? There have
0: been a lot of articles recently about the unanimous love of dolly parton everybody loves dolly parton no matter your political affiliation what kind of music you listen to uh, a lot of people yeah. have just been analyzing this recently especially over the past couple of years because there's such political division it seems that everybody in america can sort of agree apparently that dolly parton is a good yeah. person and a, and a good artist mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. you know there was that very famous podcast as well um yes. that i believe won some pretty major awards and so I was thinking about that um, and thinking about, okay, you know, we know this because we talk about her philanthropy, we talk about her music and it's wide appeal. Um, but what do her movies add to that? You know, when we're thinking about nine to five or straight talk or steel Magnolias, uh, do they still Magnolia? Fantastic. Um, what do they add to that conversation? So Um, I really wanted to take a look at how she was received when she sort of crossed over into film, um, how film journalists spoke about her, whether it was the challenge, um, why she didn't do as many films as she probably could could have, uh, and pretty much everything around that. Um, And so this video sort of outlines how she sort of also used her, her filmography to, to walk that tightrope she seems to walk which is how does she appeal to everybody all the time Um, so i sort of take a deep dive into that uh and see how she did what she did
1: well it's also i mean well okay before i say the thing i want to say i do have to at least I, i feel like my boyfriend would kill me if i didn't bring up um his favorite jolly parton film unlikely angel which is the name of our group chat with his family <laughs> on Instagram. Um, we love Unlikely Angel. It was a TV film, yeah, but still, yeah. it's a great film. Uh, but I will say the one thing that about Dolly Parton that I think when I when I heard, when we were chatting and you said you were going to do a video on Dolly Parton, the first thing that I thought of is, you know, as a queer person, I Dolly Parton, of course, is camp and, you know, the best little horizon in Texas. Like, she's, she's very camp and she's in the... The sort of vernacular of how I think queer people specifically communicate. She's Mm -hmm. very much a part of that. I mean, as of this recording, one of the most recent episodes of Drag Race had a whole Dolly Parton themed runway. So like Dolly is very much a part of that community, but it wasn't necessarily to me, at least growing up in the nineties, a parent, you know what I mean? In the nineties and early aughts, it wasn't very clear. And the moment it became very clear to me was when she did the the title song for or the song for uh Trans America, which was a film about a trans woman getting to know her son, who she be who she had been estranged from. And complicated casting. I still stand that Felicity Huffman should have won the Oscar for that over Reese Witherspoon. For she Walking should Nine. have
0: won this the best song for that. That was a great song.
1: Yes, she should have the amount of anger I turned off the television. <laughs> yeah. I mean I turned it back on when the next award came on, but I turned it off so that People couldn't get money for whatever I was on at that time. I was that angry that she lost, but that song, it was, it was a simple song, you know, it was a very simple song, but the fact that she attached herself, her brand, her identity to a film about a trans person in 2004, I think it was, which we weren't having the conversation we have, we have been having lately about trans people, which we should have been having a long time ago. but. Dolly Parton very early on attached her name to that. And that sort of said a lot to me about who she is as a performer, but also in a weird way as an activist, even though I don't think she would ever call herself an activist. Right,
0: right. What do you think? Oh, I absolutely agree. I mean, I found clips of her from the late 70s where, you mm-hmm. know, she's talking to there's a specific clip I'm thinking of where she's on a show that aired on the BBC and I'm forgetting the host's name, but um the host talks about how there are Dolly Parton lookalike contests. Uh and she says, oh yeah, and like a lot of men do it. And he's like, what? <laughs> he's shocked. He is shocked <laughs> that a man would dress up as Dolly Parton. And she's like, Yeah, you yeah. know, it's really great. A lot of a lot of people choose to do that. And I think it's fantastic, you know, it's just, so she's without being kind of an activist in the vein of let's say Jane Fonda. She sort of puts her foot down where she needs to and kind of, oh, she really shows how open her heart is um, consistently. And I mean, I think she's been that way since very early in her career, which is, I think, rare. (laughs) You know, someone who's just been kind of on the right side of things for a long time.
1: And I feel like she probably would have corrected you and said, I put my stiletto down. Absolutely,
0: absolutely. Her pumps.
1: Okay. Uh, yes, her pumps, a little tiny little pumps, a little kitten heel (laughs) pumps. I do want to, um, I do want to, of course, there's so many other videos I want to talk to you about. So one of them, your most viewed video is the A Star Is Born comparison of all the different A Star Is Born's, the the first one was Claudette, was it? The first one is
0: Janet Gaynor, although there is a version that's sort of a star board born before that, that everybody says I forgot about, but I purposely oh. chose not to include. <laughs> anyway.
1: Ah, ah, ah. And then there's the Judy Garland version of the Barbra Streisand version. And then of course the Lady Gaga version. And why did you want to compare those and what which which of those is your favorite and which is your least favorite? I'm guessing it's the one that you didn't cover.
0: Ooh, Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't cover, it's called What Price Hollywood because it's basically it's basically the same thing as a star is born, but it's just slightly different. Um, and just kind of, I I sort of considered it different enough to not include, but regardless, um, I mean, the reason it's kind of a simple reason that I wanted to do that video, which is a new version of a star is born was coming out. And I figured a lot of people would be introduced to this movie and think this is the first time this movie has ever existed. And I've, felt like, right. Like it's, (laughs) that's not a world that I live in, but, um, if you do live in that world, I think it's interesting to just kind of like introduce you to, um, this same story, but told, uh, in different decades and with different incredible artists. Um, and so I I felt like it was a good opportunity to just kind of hopefully speak to a wider audience about this, this legacy of this, this kind of story. Um,
1: and, and why they're important too, you know, in a lot of ways, like, I mean, especially for those, the two women who did the original or the other two original films, Judy Garland and, and, uh, Barbara Streisand and how impactful they were on their careers in a lot of ways, I think.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I do think Judy Garland's performance in the 1954, Stars star is born is probably one of the best films performances of all time. Um, so yes. obviously I would say that, that, that one is my favorite.
1: I just feel like we're the same person. <laughs> I, know. Like, I feel like if we had met each other, like at a bar or something, we'd be like, Ugh. just
0: talking no. for hours. I know it's crazy. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's tough to say what my least, my least favorite one is. Um, I, I do think
1: it's okay to say the Barbara Streisand one because well, that is everyone.
0: I, I know. I feel bad because,
1: and I hate to say that as a gay Jew,
0: I'm looking at a Barbara Streisand poster right now, so it's oh, tough for trust me. me I got, I
1: got, <laughs> I, I'm not looking at it, but it's in the hallway. I got it. I got one too. Yeah,
0: I do think the the Janet Gaynor version. <laughs> (laughs) is extremely underrated you know it's not a musical it doesn't star a lot of very well-known figures that people talk about frequently today so i think people tend to overlook it so um i don't want to say that one's my least favorite because i think everybody should go check it out
1: (laughs) i mean they should watch them all there is something about judy garland's a star is born the artifice of it the fakeness of it because it is very Mm -hmm. you know it's very old hollywood the sets and everything it's very old hollywood and the musical numbers but it fits with that film because it is so indicative of the story that that film is telling. I think in a lot of ways, it's just such, such a good movie. I I just every time I watch it, I'm just like, Grace Kelly, I like you, but you did not deserve that Oscar. <laughs> I know it's tough. That is Judy Garland's Oscar you're holding, and I remember distinctly watching the. Judy Davis TV movie of Judy Garland's life when she was sitting in the hospital bed and they had like an Oscar in hand, they were going to hand to Judy Garland. Then they took it away Awful. while she's in the hospital. yeah
0: And they had like all those cameras there. It's just so bad. It's oh. so bad. But oh I think, trash. I mean, to kind of go back to what we were talking about earlier with Dolly, I think the, that artifice is kind of what connects uh, mm. Hollywood and Dolly as a figure as well, because we have a very clear fake, um, kind of fabulous type of film, which is like the MGM musical of the 1930s, 40s, 50s. Um, and then we have, you know, the Judy Garland musicals that are just huge and colorful and just so outside of real life. And I think that's kind of another reason that I was interested in Dolly because she tells you that what she's doing is, what she calls a gimmick, I, yeah, she wants yeah, you to know that yeah. she's putting on a show for you and that this is kind of intentionally loud to get attention. Yeah. And I think that's like when when pop music does that and kind of crosses over into visual media, it can be a really fascinating way to study fame as well.
1: I admire it. I do. I admire when someone is just like, like Jane Fonda in some documentary about Dolly, I forget which one it was. she says that she has never seen her without hair and makeup. And it's just like, yeah, Dolly, live that life. Truly, you know. Yeah, like I, I fully support it. I don't <laughs> want to see you without hair and makeup. I mean, I do. I want to see the tattoos. I want to see the tattoos.
0: Like, yeah, I know. Oh
1: my god, I'm dying to one day, one day. <laughs> so I need to ask you. I have to ask you about other videos because we could go on forever. Um, but one of I think your two of your most interesting videos involve sort of the scandal around Harvey Weinstein. One was about Shakespeare and Love, and another one was about the Hours and Frida, and that that one was really fascinating and sort of the impact that Harvey Weinstein had on Hollywood and particularly the Oscar, best actress Oscar races in those years and best picture for, for Shakespeare and Love. And, and if, in what ways do you think in hindsight, looking at sort of the impact Harvey Weinstein had on Hollywood, how do you think Hollywood and the Oscar campaign is kind of changing post Harvey Weinstein? Because, and if you could maybe explain a little bit of sort of, why some of his campaigning was so controversial, particularly with Gwyneth Paltrow and and the wins for Frida and and The Hours.
0: Sure, so I see Harvey Weinstein as sort of an escalatory figure. It's not that there wasn't Mm. campaigning happening before Harvey Weinstein. People obviously did that um, for as long as the Oscars have existed. Um, But what he really did was kind of take everything to its maximum level. You're going to spend the most on advertising. You're going to spend the most on parties to get voters in the same room talking about the picture and how much they loved it. Um, And you're also going to spend the most time kind of bad-mouthing, should we say, some of the other candidates in case that, in case, you know, you can kind of cut them out at the legs, so to speak. Um, So, I think it's it's tough to say. I don't I don't know how much of that happens now because I'm not really in yeah. the scene to, to know. Yeah. I'm not a voter. Well, I mean, just I don't really just know Academy walking, voters. But
1: driving around Los Angeles, all you see is for your consideration posters everywhere you go, and the the packages you get. I mean, even myself, and I'm nobody. I'm literally nobody, and the packages you get are like like I got a camera in the mail. Right. Why is why is a PR person sending me a camera? Like, yeah,
0: it's. I, I do think kind of, that's part of the escalation, um, right? Is that it's it's a literal business now. That's some people's actual job is to like sit you down, tell you what the campaign needs, and try to get you that award. Um, yeah. I don't think that's a very healthy. <laughs> not that awards are um, healthy in and of themselves, but I don't think that that type of campaigning is great for um, creativity or risk or artistic progress. Um, and so sort of what has bothered me most about more recent campaigns and what I've been seeing as, as trends start to develop over let's say the last five years is just that you're really seeing kind of like on the one hand, a welcome um, level of diversity because obviously a lot of these conversations are starting to happen in ways that they were not before but you're also starting Maybe, yeah. to see a, a flattening of uh types of films that win so you see like more biopics yeah, okay. and things that just feel very formulaic you have yeah. things that are like parasite that aren't and are very exciting to see win, but then things like bohemian rhapsody that <laughs>
1: yeah. i or think the green book which was you know a fine yeah. film but I
0: mean, I think they're just the kinds of things that, you know, if SNL were to write a parody trailer of what's winning best Mm -hmm. actor or best actress next year, uh, I would guess that it would be something like that. Um, And I think think it's sort of just disappointing as a a viewer, because I guess it's partly just a taste bias in, in a sense from from my perspective, like that's not the kind of film that I enjoy, but just seeing more of the same getting kind of cranked out is a little difficult and you know, it's because a formula has been developed because of this business, because of the revenue that they can get from these stories. So it's all kind of tied together.
1: And the revenue that they can get from someone like a Gwyneth Paltrow winning a best actress Oscar, because then that bleeds into perfume campaigns and that bleeds into i mean now because actors are our new models it's they're the new supermodels that these wins and they these sort of deals that can come out of some of these wins become very lucrative for the people involved and not just the one person involved but all the people who are attached to that person involved including a harvey Weinstein.
0: it's not even it's not even that they're just models now they're also Business people, they're they, yeah. they're making their own NFTs. They're making their own makeup lines. It's all kind of just yeah. packaged around a person, um, and it sort of takes our focus away from the work a lot. And as a cinephile, I
1: yeah. it
0: makes me a little sad sometimes.
1: I know because in, when when Winthrop won, I I remember that year being particularly angry because I felt Kate Blanchett deserved it for Elizabeth. I just was like, is out? Uh, uh, did anyone see that? And then when uh, I like Nicole Kidman. I love Nicole Kidman. I'm gonna say that right now. Heartbreak feels good in a place like this. And I love <laughs> controversial Nicole opinion.
0: Kidman. Nicole Kidman is good. <laughs> I, do,
1: I do love Nicole Kidman, but when she won her Oscar, I thought I thought Sama Hayek would have been amazing for Frida, but I also was like, um, wasn't Far from Heaven also a Harvey Weinstein film? Did anyone see Julianne Moore in Far from Heaven? Like, give her an Oscar. She was nominated twice that year. Yeah. Insane.
0: I know. Yeah, it was. I it think though with crazy. Nicole, there's kind of like the the having lost for like that that sequence of Halle Berry, Nicole Kidman, yes. Renee Zellweger was very much like, oh, we're making up for the last year. Like Nicole Kidman did not win for Milan Rouge, so therefore she won for the hours. But then Renee Zellweger didn't get to win. So she won for Cold Mountain.
1: Cold Mountain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which I mean also insane. I mean, I love Renee Zellweger. She's been on this podcast. I love Renee Zellweger mm-hmm. and I loved her as Judy, but oh no. Anyway, um, I do need to ask you also. So I first discovered your your channel after I was watching Feud on FX or whatever it was, the story about, you know, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. Of course, you know this, I'm telling this to people who are listening. And <laughs> and I discovered your channel then because you did, you did two great videos, one on whatever happened to baby Jane and that whole feud between them, the actual feud, the facts behind the, behind the feud, but you also did um, a video on mommy dearest. I'm going to get to mommy dearest. That's my next question. But this question is, do you, I mean, why do you think that there was, do you think a lot of the feud between Betty Davis and Joan Crawford was manufactured to garner interest in the things that they were doing and their own sort of celebrities or, do you think it was legitimate? Like what are your thoughts on that?
0: I think it's both to be honest. Um, I think you have two women who are extreme in extremely in an extremely unique situation, which is that they have decades long careers in an industry that won't throws women away like garbage. Um, mm-hmm. that they had garnered a lot of respect and were looking for a vehicle to help them reclaim some of their glory. Um, they came from very different backgrounds, uh, learned to value very different things about their own talent and found themselves working together uh, in sort of a situation where they knew they needed to succeed, but yeah. did not work in the same way. They're professionals, but they there's tension. So I don't think that they got along. I don't think they were friends, but I think they also don't get enough credit for being professionals, for being adult people who showed up to do their jobs and did it well. Um, When you look at the press coverage from when baby Jane was being filmed and initially after it was released, there isn't coverage, of Mm
1: -hmm.
0: a feud happening on the set it starts to happen after it comes out when sweet when hush hush sweet charlotte comes around uh when the oscars when yeah when joan crawford left that film um but and then when of course when the oscars happens so i mean the
1: oscar story the oscar story
0: is pretty crazy
1: (laughs) in just to set up for our listeners because that's something that every time I talk to anyone about this who doesn't know anything about this feud. I'm like, yeah. So Betty Davis was the only one nominated. Well, of the two of them, Joan Crawford and Betty Davis. She was the only one nominated for best actress for whatever happened to baby Jane and at the Oscars Anne Bancroft was seen as a front runner in a lot of ways, maybe for the miracle worker. She was a younger actress. It was a big, big Broadway hit. She was a big, big actress coming up and coming actress. And Joan Crawford said that she would accept the award because Anne Bancroft was going to be on Broadway, you know, working or whatever. Yep. So she couldn't come yep. out to accept the Oscar. And then Anne Bancroft won and Joan Crawford accepted the Oscar. And then the rumor has it, she kept the Oscar for a quite a long time. which she did after, didn't. <laughs> which she didn't, but that's like, the, the, it's, uh, how did you find, like, I didn't, I learned that from your video that, that she didn't keep the Oscar.
0: Right. And I think that's part of why I say like, it's true that it was a manufactured feud, but it's also true that they did not like each other, because when that happened, yeah. when Joan Crawford accepted the award on Ann Bancroft's behalf, uh, Betty Davis took that personally. And I can understand yeah. why, because it, it does seem yeah. like a very pointed F you to, to Betty. Yeah. Um, but I think she also understood that It it made people laugh like that the way that she would tell those stories, like she frankly just made that up and would tell it on late night shows all the time that she traveled the world with it. It took her a year to give her Anne Bancroft's Oscar back. Like none of that was true, but it gets a laugh. It gets attention. It gets written up in newspapers uh, and it keeps you going. It keeps people interested in what you have to say. Um, But, you know, there are photos of Joan Crawford giving her the Oscar, like a month, like less than a month later there, you know, cause she oh. delivered it to her, um, after a performance of the miracle or not miracle worker, it was a uh, mother uh, courage. Ridiculous. Maybe she was on Broadway forget, at the yeah. time. Uh, yeah. and Joan Crawford delivered the Oscar to her. And then that show closed maybe, like a month after the Oscars. So it's like very impossible Mm. for her to have given (laughs) her the Oscar, but then also have traveled a year and that picture to exist. Like it just logistically does not make sense. So, you know, you do what you have to do to get the laugh sometimes, I think. And it kind of works. We're still doing it. We're still talking about it.
1: Yeah, we are still talking about it. The other thing with Joan Crawford that I think I'm, I will admit to feeling bad about sometimes is, I love Mommy Dearest, like, I mean, and we talked about that a little bit at the beginning, uh, I, it's 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 a part of my DNA in a lot of ways, I watch it monthly, and I fall asleep to it, it is heartwarming in a sick and twisted way, and I find it so comforting, but I also know part of me feels bad about liking it so much because I now have everything we know I don't know how reliable it is as being truthful, and and it feels and in a lot of ways I think I like it more because of what it hap- what happened to Faye Dunaway with it, and not so much the depiction of Joan Crawford. So I, I I guess my question is like, what what's your take on Mommy Dearest, and do you think it's okay to enjoy it?
0: Oh well, if it's not okay, then I'm not okay <laughs> because I deeply enjoy that movie as well. I guess I have a sick sense of humor in that I find it very funny. <laughs> I That's mean, I know a lot of people same. don't, and I was anticipating that when I published the video. Um, I was nervous because I knew that a lot of people wouldn't feel that way. Um, it's a story about child abuse; like it shouldn't be funny. But I think there's yeah. sort of you know, just the way it was filmed and performed takes it out of reality for me a little bit. Um, Yeah. So I guess my take is that it's extremely complicated (laughs) Um, and it's, it's, it's tough to even understand. I mean, this is Faye Dunaway's line on it, right. Is, no one will ever know what is she, she says something like only God will know <laughs> what happened yes, between yes. those two people. And I think even that line today is kind of tough to stomach. You know, a lot of what we're talking yeah. about today is believing women, believing people who yeah. say they've been abused. Um, and mm-hmm. so I can imagine, uh, if, if there were an occasion for like a mass cultural reappraisal of this movie, that it would be seen much differently today. Um, Not quite as a classic, but as sort of more of a, what it was intended originally to be as sort of a horrifying recollection of abuse. Um,
1: Yeah. So it's tough. I think the thing that sticks out to me is that, you know, it is an interesting conversation because it is you're right there is a lot of sort of the conversation around believe all women and and believe women when they're saying that these things these horrible things uh happening and 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 take it for the value that it is but i also part of me struggles with you know the other people who were in the house who like the sisters uh, who say contradict a lot of what the sister says and then of course some of the things that have come out since and so it's a really complicated issue for me that then sometimes as like you and I watching it as sort of a camp classic, yeah. we're just kind of and I'm watching it to flinch at sort of when Joan or when Faye Dunaway is like slowly leaning back into the shower and she has that little moment of like she like the water hits her and she sort of jitters for a second. And I laugh every single time or when she's running beside the car. I laugh every. that's how I run in real life now because of that movie. Like <laughs> And it's, <laughs> it's, yeah. the, it's really, it's really, it's, it's troubling. It is really troubling. I mean, and
0: I think, you know, that's true that there are a lot of, I guess, conflicting reports, but then it's, I feel like it's just debating yourself into a corner because then you yeah. could immediately say, well, it's a, he said, she said, well, or she said, she said. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's, to me, it's sort of like, all I can do is know that I'm never going to know and like, yeah,
1: uh, and be okay with and that. sort you of have to accept that.
0: Take take my reaction to it with a grain of salt and understand. Like, listen, yeah. if this happened to somebody today, of course not. I would not laugh at it. <laughs> of course, <laughs> yes. Like, yes. I, uh, like I like I understand not. how to like apply my feelings and support correctly. Yeah. I think today, hopefully, so that's what well, I'm more like concerned with- about, frankly.
1: I think it's like with a lot of films that have complicated histories in terms of race, in terms of the depiction of women, in terms of abuse, all these things. And I love what Turner Classic Movies is doing and a lot of other streaming platforms are doing in that they are, you know, or HBO Max I think did this too with Gone with the Wind where instead of just streaming it and making money off of it and not having any conversation about the ramifications of showing these films, they're having actual panels and conversations and and warnings before a film saying that this does depict this and there is disputed, whatever, whatever the case may be for that particular film. And I really, I kind of applaud that, that we can go into it knowing that there's a complicated history with this and it's not bad to necessarily view it, but you need to also acknowledge the complicated history behind why these things that are happening in the film are happening you know
0: oh absolutely i mean that's my number one philosophy you have to understand what you're watching i think back to things that Mm -hmm. i watched as a kid in the 90s like early 2000s that informed Mm -hmm. like jokes that i would make or you know things like that that just i look back and i think that's not funny or like you know even (laughs) that classic hillary Duff ad where you're like it's not okay to say gay. Like Everybody, everybody said that when I was growing up, you know, like what you watch informs how you behave in in my Mm -hmm. opinion. Um, And so if you're going to watch a lot of classic movies, you have to understand like, why was this done? Why is it wrong? Mm -hmm. And, And based on that information, we can know what to look forward to. Like what are, dog whistles that you might see in modern media that are signaling back to these things that aren't okay to keep doing. Um, So information is power, as they say. So I I really believe that you
1: have to, you know, be very, the more you yeah you have to be
0: a very vigilant viewer um, when you're watching these things.
1: Well, I just have two more. Actually I have one more question and and then a request of you. Um, So my last question is like, as a movie buff, I think of like, there are some films that I can watch endlessly and never get tired of. Now, Mommy Dearest goes without saying, so we don't need to bring that one up again. But there, for me, I'll tell you my two films that I can watch, and they, they they star the same person, that I can watch over and over and over again and never get bored of. The Apartment, starring Jack Lemmon and Shirley MacLaine, and Terms of Endearment, also starring Shirley MacLaine and Deborah Winger. I, what are your f- two films that you can watch Nonstop and never get bored of.
0: Oh, that's really tough. Um, one. You could also
1: just go with one. If okay,
0: you one to. is a deep cut. This is Ooh. a deep cut. I think. Um, a foreign affair, which is I think a 1949 <sighs> Billy Wilder movie starring Marlena Dietrich and Gene Arthur. I I don't know why I'm obsessed. Well, I know why I'm obsessed with that movie, but. <laughs> i just i have like unreasonably love it more than i should i don't
1: yeah it's just it's for marlena right i mean oh it is it absolutely is it has to be 1000 i once went to berlin just because of her
0: yes yeah you can do a whole tour of berlin just like based on her life it's great (laughs) yeah absolutely you just like it's it sucks though you have to go all the way out to like the suburbs (laughs) and it's like very awkward but
1: um, I
0: um Yes. So that's one of them. And then I would say probably whatever happened to baby Jane. I mean, yeah.
1: it's, it, yeah. I was thinking you were going to say, yeah,
0: that it's hard for me not to say that. Uh, it's maybe too, too, too expected of an answer, but I also gave you a deep cut, so I don't feel too bad. That's
1: okay. <laughs> Sometimes doing the most expected thing, you know, you don't always have to be interesting. Sometimes just do what's very clear and obvious and right in our face, yep. you know, well, my last thing for you, and this has been so much fun, and I feel like I want to do this for four hours with you. Um, But my last thing for you is a request of based on the last question a little bit. I feel very strongly that you should do a video on Shirley MacLaine. I, know. I, I just do. I, I feel like the career of Shirley MacLaine and how she exists within the world, even now to this day, is just wild and insane. Have you read My Lucky Stars? I have not read that one, but I have read... yes because that is a very good book and i've read it her books are
0: fantastic and it's interesting you know doing um dolly research obviously around steel magnolia she comes up a lot and it's interesting how the press kind of tried to uh point them against each other
1: because oh interesting i didn't know because
0: i mean i think most of it is a joke. It's like Letterman being like, so do you think she's crazy for believing in reincarnation? And Dolly's like, I'm a Christian and I just told her that I don't believe in that and it's fine, you know, but it's it's interesting how, you know, they were really kind of cruel to her and probably still are very cruel to her about this stuff. Um, But it was interesting seeing that kind of pop up and uh, become a part of the discourse. there's a great interview.
1: I'm sure you watched it, but there's a great interview. I think it was either Phil Donahue or Sally Jesse where all of the women we're on. Um, I love on, it. Talking about Steel Magnolias. You know what I'm I know. talking about. I was <laughs> obsessed with it. It's so good. It was so good. interesting because here you have a panel of women who, some of them are Hollywood legends, and they they do interviews as a Hollywood legend would, meaning like they're very showy and animated in their answers, and they use their hands a lot, and they're very just sort of whatever. I'm, I'm Sally Field about. is
0: working the room. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sally Field is working the room yeah. and Shirley MacLaine is just sitting there being the aura that she is. So she doesn't even need to work the room because she's Shirley MacLaine. And you can tell Sally Field doesn't like that. <laughs> but then you have Julia Roberts. And I also think was was um oh, God, I'm blanking her name. Daryl oh, Hannah
0: gosh. was not there.
1: Daryl, Daryl Hannah was not there. Was that's not right. There. So It was just like Julia Roberts and Julia Roberts looked so uncomfortable.
0: It's like one like, of her first not one of yeah it's one of her first movies right i think
1: yeah she did mystic pizza before that maybe a handful of other little things but that was really yeah she wasn't
0: quite the stature that she has become so it's interesting to see her play that role in the
1: chair i remember in like a leather jacket maybe she was like slumped in the chair and just it moving her hair back and forth like like a nervous tick or something it was very strange yeah wonderful to watch it's those shows like
0: early Oprah episodes and Donahue, I'm like, if I were ever a famous person, I would literally never put myself in that situation because some of, (laughs) some of those audience questions truly should have never seen the light of day. But,
1: oh my God, my favorite is when, when any, whenever there's like a male celebrity on an Oprah episode and you have this like Midwestern Nebraska woman stand up being like, I loved it when you took your shirt off.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're like, what and are you doing like, later?
1: <laughs> I know. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, you want to go to White Hint Pantry? It was in Chicago, so that's why I said that. Uh, that's, yeah, it just, it blows me away. It blows me away. I, Izzy... Be kind, Rewind. I can't even tell people enough how much. If you love movies, you have to to subscribe to this channel. You are so much fun. Where else can people find you outside of YouTube?
0: Uh, I am on Twitter at BK Rewind and Instagram at BK underscore Rewind. Thank you, Izzy. Thank you so much. I had a lot of fun. Welding instructor, Alex DeClaire, knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
1: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. If this chat today didn't inspire you to go watch an old movie, I honestly don't know what will. I still pay for cable just so I can watch Turner Classic Movies and Bravo. Yes, I love Bravo. Please allow me my guilty pleasure. It is so relaxing to me. Let me know what you thought about today's episode and what classic film you're going to watch because of this episode. I hope you go watch a classic film. You can find me at HLN Scott on everything. And thanks for listening to Newsweek's Parting Shot. If you liked what you just heard, consider leaving a little rating and review. It, it really does help the show. And for more on the latest news and podcasts, head to newsweek.com and follow Newsweek on all the social platforms. Until then, watch something fun and have a great day.